to Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. Right. Play, Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Let's go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Bonjour, bonsoir, mademoiselle, monsieur. Je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos? Mi amo a Wendell Wallace. Welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm so glad that you could have the opportunity to listen to us. Que pasa, mi amigos? Que pasa, que pasa, que pasa? A shalom. Shalom, my brothers and sisters. Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Assalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. And of course, Konishiwa. What's happening? What's going on? Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Hoping that you're doing everything that you need to do to make this place a better place to live in. Have that uncomfortable conversation with somebody. And remember to listen, learn, listen, learn. Shut up, educate yourself, listen, grow, and learn. A lot of things to discuss today in the world of sports. College football, as we have known it forever, will not be happening in 2020. Yes, shit, damn, all those type of things. I've started right now in terms of what the hell am I going to be doing on my Saturdays? What the hell am I going to be doing on my Thursdays? What the hell am I going to be doing without a lot of college football, man? Damn. The Big Ten on Tuesday became the first of college football's Power Five conferences to postpone its fall, fall sports season because of health and safety concerns about competing during the COVID-19 pandemic, the conference will evaluate the possibility of moving the fall sports to spring schedules. I'll get into that a little bit later. Then less than two hours after the Big Ten's announcement, the Pac-12 said, you know what, fuck it, we're going to do the same thing. So it also postponed the season. Now, what Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren said in an interview on uh, Big Ten Network after the announcement with Dave Repson, this is exactly how he put it in terms of the reason why he was canceling the college football season, at least in the fall for the Big Ten. I mean, one of the things that we uh, promised ourselves uh, that this was going to be a fluid situation. This was going to be a day-to-day situation. And we would be on a perpetual state of just observing, gathering information, and doing everything we possibly could to have fall sports. That being said, the thing our overarching you know reason and the overarching um, issues that we had to always keep at the top of our mind was the fact and i've said it from the first day that i started at the big 10 that the health the safety the wellness and both physical and mental for our student athletes was going to be at the top of my list and uh, as things began to evolve You look at the number of cases that are spiking, the number of deaths, not only in our country, in our states where many of our schools are located, but worldwide, is that I promise that all the decisions that we will make during my tenure here at the Big Ten will always put the mental and physical health and safety and wellness of our student athletes at the center. And uh, when you look at this decision, uh, it just we just believe collectively there's too much uncertainty at this point in time 
uh, in, in our country and to, to really to encourage our student athletes to participate in fall sports. And we just, I take this responsibility seriously and I will continually do everything in my power to make sure that uh, we put our student athletes in a position to be empowered and to, uh, and to be elevated. But as people first and uh, as students and, and understand they're also, they're not professionals. These are amateur athletes and they deserve an opportunity to be able to participate in a healthy and safe manner. So what the uh, commissioner said was the health and the safety, the wellness, both physical and mental of our student athletes was going to be at the top of our list. As things evolved, you looked at the numbers of cases that are spiking, the number of deaths, not only in our country, our states, where many of our schools are located, but worldwide. He went on to say that we believe collectively there's too much uncertainty at this point in time in our country to really encourage our student athletes to participate in fall sports and besides football the decision will affect cross country women's volleyball field hockey football aka soccer so decisions regarding spring and winter sports continue to be evaluated now the uh, decision to cancel the pac-12 the uh, uh, commissioner larry scott what he said in the statement was he said quote our student athletes fans staff and all those who love College sports would like to have seen the season played this calendar year as originally planned, as we know how disappointing this is. Unlike professional sports, college sports cannot operate in a bubble. Our athletic programs are a part of a broader campuses and communities where, in many cases, the prevalence of COVID-19 is significant. And he concluded by saying, we will continue to monitor the situation and when conditions change, we will be ready to explore all options to play the impact of sports in the new calendar year. Did the right thing. He did absolutely did the right thing. Hey, look, man, I've heard the argument. I've listened to a lot of folks talk about this, and I've listened to the pros and the cons and the cons and the pros and the rights and the wrongs and the lefts and the rights, and I've listened to all that. But for me, hey, look, I'm not saying that I don't, I'm not 100% on this, and I'm not saying those who thought the college season season should have been given a try. I'm not saying that you guys are anything less than that, but my whole deal is that, hey, look, man, we're talking about student athletes here, man. We're talking about guys who aren't getting paid, okay? So in a situation like that, I'm thinking as, I mean, I'm not a parent, but I'm thinking if I had a child playing college football, would I want him to be back on campus participating in college football? With Does the risk of catching this COVID-19 equate my you know, my comfortable comfortability in terms of sending them back? I mean, the answer is no. I mean, the argument about players to be safer on campus and being supervised, I mean, we already tried that in the spring. It didn't work. Take a look at the Big Ten stats. Illinois, I mean, there's more than 90 college football teams that have reported at least one player testing positive for COVID this summer. And again, when the spring commenced and these guys were having it, the Big Ten stats speak for itself. Illinois recently announced that it had 23 athletes, including 18 football players, test positive since June with three active cases. Northwestern paused workouts after one player tested positive and 37 players were quarantined until it was determined the test was a false a false positive. Michigan State quarantined its entire team after 16 players tested positive. Rutgers halted workouts after players reportedly contracted COVID-19 while attending a party raising the team's positive cases to 28. No, no, no. We've tried this already. And we're not, we're not just 
talking about the Big Ten. I mean, what about what happened in Baylor? What happened about the uh, Big 12 schools and the SEC schools and then and in, um, LSU and these other campuses? And, of course, so the Pac-12 shutting down. No, no, man. Student athletes, these guys do not need to be playing college football this season. So according to uh, Nicole Arbach of The Athletic, the conference is aware of at least 10 players who have had who have uh, who have the rare heart condition myocarditis, which reportedly has a high prevalence in people who have had COVID nineteen. In fact, going back to the Big Ten, Illinois, excuse me, Indiana offensive lineman uh, Brady Feeney was sent to the emergency room with breathing problems after testing positive for COVID nineteen. No, no, players in the pack. No, we don't need this. We don't need this. And it's only going to take one. We always talk about, well, you know, they may be asymptomatic. We may be some other things. But, hey, man, you know what? It only takes one brain of Feeney. It only takes one player to have this virus, to die from this virus, to really be fucked up from this virus. And it's a situation where it was it worth the risk. Now, we talked about, you know, I'll talk about <clears throat> a little bit later about, you know, the monetary situation, the economic uh, impact that it could have again. You could throw out all the stats, you could throw out all the numbers, and you could throw out all the data about how much college football means to the towns and to the universities and everything like that. But hey, man, if someone dies, I don't give a damn if it's the Hall of Fame star quarterback. I don't care if the Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback or running back, or I don't care if it's the redshirt freshman who didn't give a damn in terms of the impact that he could have on a team that could be vying for a championship or vying for a conference title or vying for a top 25 status or vying for, I don't know, the coach keeping his job after his job is in jeopardy. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference. They, they did the right thing, man. Side on the side on being extra cautious. That's what I'm talking about. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. What's interesting in the Pac-12 players in that conference started a uh, hashtag we are united movement earlier this month to improve the health and the well-being and financial situation of players throughout the conference and the group released a statement tuesday night reacting to the news that they won't be playing football in the fall this is from the wall street journal it said it is obvious that the pac-12 was woefully unprepared to protect college athlete athlete safety in response to COVID 19 and could not address the basic and essential safety demands made by hashtag we are united after haphazardly trying to place the health of college athletics in jeopardy by having a season without safety mandates, the Pac-12 has now abruptly canceled the season with no transference and no communication with the college athletes impacted. The Pac-12 failures, failures have made it clear that the time for change is now. The system is broken. College athletics deserve, deserve and need a real voice in the form of a players association. Yeah, man, that, that may be true. And I understand what they're talking about. But then again, in a situation like this, look, everybody made mistakes. You know, we it was a matter of, you know, they were teasing us in terms of we're going to have football, we're going to have football, we're going to have football, oh, we're not going to have football. Even though there were some in the Big Ten that we're talking about, hey, look, man, this shit ain't written in stone in terms of whether we're going to be playing college football or not. You know, this is a situation where we might not be playing. But then again, if you're talking to players who are around 18, 19, 21 22, 23 years old, and you're mentioning the fact that, you know, they're bringing out schedules and it looks like they're moving toward 
the resolution that you are going to be playing football, even if you put it in the sense that, hey, you know what, there's a chance that they might. We're talking about 18 to 23-year-old kids. They're going to be concentrating on we're going to be playing football. That's the only thing that they're going to be hearing. In a lot of cases, that's the only thing that they want to be hearing is the fact that they're going to be playing football. So mistakes were made all over the board. But in, in my opinion, in my concern, in my thoughts is that they did the right thing by saying there ain't no football this season. There's not going to be any college football this season. So, you know, with the Big Ten, the Pac-12, I applaud their decision that was being made. It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. You know, and for those kids at Oregon, for those kids, you know, with Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State, those teams were going to be projected to be in the top five, top ten in the country. You take a look at someone like a Justin Fields who was going to be vying with Trevor Lawrence for the opportunity to be the number one draft pick in the NFL, to be vying for an opportunity to win the Heisman Trophy. I mean, all of those things now are going to be thrown out the window for Justin Fields. So in some regard, in some level, I, I do feel sorry for him, do have sympathy for him. But you know what, man? The world sucks. The world's tough and the world's not fair. So as an 18, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old, you know, you're just beginning life. Y'all are just babies in terms of dealing with the world, real world. Yeah, y'all can go to war. Yeah, y'all can go vote. Yeah, y'all can go drink. Y'all can do some other things. But just talking about in the world in general, man, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 years old, especially coming out of college, especially someone who never had a job, who's never had to pay rent, who's never had a mortgage, who's never had to pay bills, who's never been responsible for someone younger than they are, who had to be responsible for the most part of being a parent. Hey, man, for the most part, y'all are just starting to live life. So get used to it. The way that you guys handle this is going to be the way it's going to be the determining factor in terms of how well you're going to be as an adult moving forward. Because if you're 80, 85 years old and you look back on your life and say this was the worst thing that ever happened to you, man, you'll be the luckiest human being to walk the face of this planet ever. So I understand the disappointment. I understand the fact that you might have been lied to. I understand the fact that, you know what, you might have been led astray, run amok, you know, got, gotten the okie doke, all of those type of things. But, you know, this is a situation where out of the rubble, out of the destruction, when you're speaking about the Pac-12, when you're speaking about the Big Ten, and you're speaking about now the time that we're living in, where we're all speaking about reconstruction, when we're all speaking about growing, when we're all speaking about learning, when we're all speaking about change in, in society, as well as athletics. The fact that this situation, that this pandemic brought together in, in a certain situation where the whole George Floyd situation, the, the marching and the protesting and the effects and the power and the impact that those things had galvanized enthusiasm, gave enthusiasm to those in college in terms of saying, hey, man, you know, we're college athletes. And being a college athlete, being a football player in college, it's, it's great. There's a lot of positives that come on that. But then again, we're, we're no longer going to sit back and go through the rigmarole of, hey, you know what, we're getting a scholarship and that's okay and that's fine. And you know what, we would like to kind of make some more money. We would like to have some more say at the table. We would like to have some more things that are 
that should be uh, provided for us. But you know what? The fact that we're not going to be leaving school with a student loan or anything like that, that's good enough for us. That was before. Now is the new time. And now is the time for these college players to really, even though in the Pac-12, in the Big Ten so far, there's not going to be any college football. Now is the time for these players to really galvanize, unionize, and start to really come to these teams and start to come to these universities and start to come to these coaches and athletic directors and say, this is what we're talking about. This is where we demand. And especially, it's got to take place in college football. Excuse me, in college basketball. I think college basketball, when you're speaking about real change that can come. For the NFL, uh, for the uh, college football players who are not going to the NFL, and even those who are going to the NFL, we really need to, we really need to follow the lead. College basketball players really need to take the lead on this. And the reason why I say that is because with the college football players, look, everything is impacted with college football in terms of tradition and the teams and, and, you know, the long history of college football. So no one player in college football, no matter how great he is, whether, whether it was Tim Tebow or Tommy Frazier or, or Archie Griffin or any of these guys, these guys who are legendary football players in the game of college football, Johnny Rogers for Nebraska and and, uh, you know, Turner Gill for Nebraska. And, and, and with the, the, the long, rich tradition, it's always for college football has been about those teams. It's been about Notre Dame. It's been about Ohio State. It's been about Michigan. It's been about um, <clears throat> UCLA and USC. College football has really been baked on rivalries and teams and that type of thing. So for college football, you don't need to have a bunch of five-star recruits. You don't need to have a whole bunch of players in terms of guys who are going to be first-round draft picks in the NFL and such because college football is not based on that. People don't watch college football in Nebraska. People don't watch college football in Alabama. People don't watch college football in LS at LSU and Baton Rouge. People don't watch college football in Clemson, South Carolina. So much for the players. They watch it because of their team. Everything, their tradition, their love is baked in their team and college football. So because of that, players who are quote unquote wanting to unite and ask for certain things and certain improvements within their conditions of being student athletes, well, the college presidents, the football uh, folks, the athletic director and stuff, they really don't have to pay that much attention to college football players because it's a situation where if College football, there will always be college football players. There will always be those who will be wanting to play college football. There always will be those who will be satisfied with the status quo. So if someone of an influence, someone of an impact, someone of the talent, someone of you know uh, the, the ability of Trevor Lawrence or a Justice Fe Justin Fields or Travis ATM or any of those type of players, if they want to go ahead and not play college football, fine. Where else are you going to fucking go? There is no other league except for the CFL to go play to go play football. You're not going to be playing football in China. You're not going to be playing football in Europe. You're not going to be playing football in Australia. You're not going to be playing football in any other continent on the country in terms of American football. If any type of football that you're going to be playing is going to be pronounced football, and they're not really playing guys without a strong football degree anyway. But if you turn around and you speak about college basketball, well, yes, you have your Dukes and you have your North Carolinas and you have your Kansas and you have your traditional rivals. You have your Kentuckys. You have those type of programs. 
college basketball is much more based on the players more than just the team itself. Again, I'm not saying that the blue bloods of the world aren't important and don't have some sway and don't have some impact and don't have the ability to attract sports fans and college uh, sports fans to watch the product. But college football, excuse me, college basketball really is the one in terms of, you know what, you need that basketball player. You need that student athlete more than ever. One solid, one great basketball player means so much to a program, means so much to a university, means so much to the employment of coaches and athletic directors and other things. You know, the impact of a Zion Williams, the impact of a Patrick Ewing when he was in college, the impact of a Danny Manning when he was in college, the impact of all of these great college basketball players, they have a much more effect on what goes down than any of the college football players. So if a college basketball players, so if college basketball players unite and say, hey, you know what, some of the things that we're going through as student athletes, we don't like and we need to change, that's going to have a much greater impact than college football players getting together. Because again, college basketball players, five-star recruits, highly ranked, highly thought of basketball players coming out of high school, they have options. They have great options. They don't have to go to college if they don't want to. They can go to China and play overseas. They can go to Australia and play overseas. They can go to Lithuania. They can go to any country in Europe. They can go to China and play basketball, as I mentioned before. They, with the G League being set up, they can go to the select league or select team and play in the G League. They can even sit out a year and wait till they're 19 and then apply for the uh, NBA draft. So because of that, while college basketball ain't going nowhere, the impact of college basketball not having those five-star recruits by not having those players who are different makers within their programs. The three-star recruits, the two-star recruits will always be going to college. Four-star recruits will always be finding a way to college. But when you're speaking about these five-star recruits, when you're speaking about these top 10 players, when you're speaking about these guys who have the ability to go to the NBA right now, and all of a sudden they're saying, no, thank you. All of a sudden now they're saying, we'll go somewhere else. All of a sudden now they have an avenue to go to where it doesn't include college. Now all of a sudden these presidents, especially in these basketball mad states, we know football carries the water, especially when you're speaking about Power 5 conferences. But still, if you're speaking about the programs at Kansas, if you're speaking about the programs at Kentucky, if you're speaking about the program at North Carolina, if you're speaking about the program at Duke, if you're speaking about the program at Villanova, if you're speaking about any of these things, the programs at Indiana, you're just speaking about any of these things where they take their basketball extremely seriously in terms of the college level is concerned, they'll be much more apt to be listening to see what they can do to continue to strengthen the game of college basketball by listening to the players. So if a players so if the players in basketball who are looking to play college basketball all of a sudden say, Hey, you know what, these are some of the demands that we want and this also trickles down to what some of the football players that the football college football players and basketball players unite, now we really got something going. And again, in a time where college sports and athletics, especially if you're speaking about the football and basketball programs moving in the right direction in terms of you can use your name and your likeness to go ahead and try to make some money that way. I think the ultimate goal for any of these for any of these uh, movements 
basically is to end the tyranny, to end what has been rule of college athletics by the NCAA. I want the NCAA to go away. I want it disbanded. I want it to be just gone because it's a waste. It's a joke. It's a clown. It's out of date. It's antiquated. Um, and as I'll be mentioning before, even now dealing with this pandemic in college football, where you have some conferences saying they're not playing, you have other, other conferences saying that they're playing, and the spineless, gutless cowards, which are the NCAA, are nowhere to be found. Could you imagine any other sport could you imagine any other league or a situation that makes the type of money and has the impact as far as sports leagues is concerned, like the NCAA? Could you imagine the freckless leadership that it would have? Could you imagine with the NBA if there was a situation where, well, yeah, the Boston Celtics said that they were going to be coming back to play, or, yeah, the Western Conference said that they're going to be going back to play, but the Eastern Conference said they're not going to be going to play. In the Pacific Division, they said they're going to be playing this situation, and the Atlantic Division say they're going to be playing in this situation, so we don't know what the fuck is going on. Could you imagine the NFL and what we're talking about in the AFC East, they decided not to play football, but in the NFC East, they decided they are going to play football, and the NFC North, they decided they decide they're going to have a six-game schedule with these games that are going to be played. Meanwhile, in the AFC West, they said that they're going to be only playing four games in this situation. Could you imagine in Major League Baseball, where you would have the National League having its own set of rules, while the American League having its own set of rules in terms of whether we're going to play or not? No, it falls under one umbrella. And yes, I understand that the NCAA... They police not just Division One, but Division Twos and Division Threes. And so I know they got a lot more to oversee than, say, the NBA or the NHL or Major League Baseball or, or the NFL. But still, the spineless, gutless, cowardly silence that has been the NCAA in terms of this right now, when it needs some type of leadership, is absolutely, abominable. Uh, it's absolutely ridiculous. I can only compare it to boxing in terms of the lack of leadership and lack of organization and the total dysfunction which is these which is the uh, NCAA as of right now but as it stands as of this recording Friday August 14th the year being 2020 college football as we know it at least for this year has been changed
Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Yeah, you know, when I'm talking about the Wendell's World of Sports, when I'm talking about sports, when I'm talking about what's going on in the world of sports, you know, whenever time I do this podcast, I gotta, I, you know, I'm gonna have a funky good time. Funky good time! Gonna have a funky good time, oh yeah, we're gonna have a funky good time, speaking about what's going on in the world of sports. So, I was talking about the end of of college football for some conferences for the 2020 season, at least in the fall. So the question is, as far as the Big Ten and the Pac-12 announcing that they're not going to be playing football in the fall, what about the other Power Five conference and the non-conference, uh, non-Power Five uh, conference teams? Well, the AAC, Conference USA, and the Sun Belt are among the schools who are going to have fall football until otherwise notified. So we're speaking about 77 teams altogether, including the Big 12, the ACC, and the SEC. They've had not altered their plans to play a fall season. In fact, in separate statements, the ACC and the SEC said that they will continue to make decisions based on the advice of their own medical advisory group, along with local and state health guidelines. Okay, okay. In fact, this is what uh, SEC Commissioner Greg Stanky said in a statement. He said, I look forward to learning more about the factors that led the Big Ten and Pac-12 leadership to take these actions today, meeting Tuesday at the time. I remain comfortable with the thorough and deliberate approach that the SEC and our 14 members are taking to support a healthy environment for our student-athletes. We will continue to further refine our policies and protocols for a safe return to sports as we monitor developments around COVID-19 and the continued effort to support, educate, and care for our student-athletes every day. Mm. Mm. Let me see. I don't know. Hotspots in Georgia, hotspots in Texas, hotspots in Louisiana, hotspots in the South in particular in terms of the rise of COVID-19 positive tests, but yet still they found somebody to say that, no, it's cool. We can go ahead and still, uh, we can go ahead and still play college football in the fall. Okay. The leading medical advisor for the Atlantic Coast Conference said the risks associated with the coronavirus can be overcome enough to play college football this fall. In fact, Dr. Cameron Wolf, a Duke infected, infected, Duke infectious disease specialist who leads the ACC's medical advisory team told Sports Business Daily, we believe we can mitigate it down to a level that makes everyone safe. What that level is, we have no idea. We can safely have two teams meet on the field. I would say yes, it would be tough. Yes, will it be expensive and hard and lots of work for sure. I wonder who's going to be paying for this. But do I believe you can sufficiently mitigate the risk of bringing COVID into our football field or onto the training room at a level that's no different than living in as a student on campus? He said, sure, I do believe that. So, all right, man. It's all who you believe. You know what I'm saying about that? You know, I guess when it really comes down to, we can, we can speak about everything in terms of they spoke to this and they spoke to this doctor and they did their research. You know what these conference commissioners have thought about in making the decision? Let's, let's just get down to it, right? Let's just be real. How much backlash 
Are they going to receive from the fan bases, the donor, the asshole in chief for a few more months, the community at large, if we cancel the season compared to doing the right thing and canceling the season? Especially when you're speaking about certain regions of this country that you know that the backlash or the praise is going to be a whole lot different. So don't think that didn't get into the final decisions in terms of what we're going to do as far as playing college football this season. How much damage to the economy of Starkville and Oxford, Mississippi and Lubbock, Texas, College Station and Waco, Texas, Lawrence and Manhattan, Kansas, Columbia, Missouri, Auburn, Alabama, Ames, Iowa, Stillwater and Norman, Oklahoma, Blacksburg and Charlottesville, Virginia. How much damage economically is going to be happening if we do shut down these college football towns, these college football cities, and how much backlash as a commissioner am I going to be receiving from these folks in terms of why they shut this down? Because economics say, economics, you know, people who study the economy, goddammit, say canceling football would be devastating to local businesses that rely on the huge influxes of cash from home games. So you take a look at these guys speaking, you know, uh, Patrick Rich, the director of the sports business program at Washington University in, in St. Louis. Man, this guy's talking about, he estimates that the school, schools in the Power Five Conference could lose more than $4 billion in total revenue. And at least $1.2 billion in lost ticket revenue. And according to 2011 estimate from the College Station Chamber of College, uh, Commerce, where Texas A&M is, seven home games. Normally seven home games, that's what they play you know, in, that, in that area. About, basically about $20 million per game is what they uh, equate in terms of direct consumer revenue. So you're looking at $140 million that could be lost. According to a 2013 study, Baylor Athletics had a $373.3 million impact on the Waco community. What Mayor Walt Maddox of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, told reporters in June that the city could lose up to $2 billion if the University of Alabama's football season is canceled. The Ohio State, according to a Trip Umbach, in a 2018 fiscal year, Ohio State Athletics had an average of you know generated 400.5 million for the for the uh, state that the economic impact that it had and su supported or sustained 3152 jobs statewide and Ohio State Athletics generated 31 almost 32 million in state and local government revenue the report concluded so yeah, man, we get it. We understand it. That it's all about, you know, what how much money this is going to be and how much money it's going to cost. But I just say, shouldn't that really take a hold of what's going on in the hypocrisy and what's going on with student athletics? How can folks, in terms of, again, student athletes, be responsible for communities, be responsible for cities as far as economics are concerned. Why is it that we have 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old kids who are up there deciding the fate of grown men because of their football prowess in terms of the, gener the money that they generate? And how could they be having this type of burden lay upon them and not get any money in terms of their usage, in terms of their importance to the community, in terms of the city? terms of the town that's 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 incredible to me you know conferences are still that are still going to try to have a football season and the fan bases who want it what you're saying for the most part is these players are viewed more as a product than as people you know the possibility of having college football in the spring 
I mean, that's ridiculous, man. It has nothing to do with, oh, wow, we're trying to make sure that these kids get an opportunity to play football. What in the world is going to be having, what in the world are you going to be talking about having student athletes and having your best interest at heart for student athletes as far as football players is concerned if you're talking about them playing 1920 football games in a calendar year within a 12-month period? NFL players aren't even going for that right now. So you're going to be talking about, you're going to be putting the risk of the health of these guys, who knows what's going to be happening in the spring? Everybody just assumes that comes springtime that there's going to be a vaccine or there's going to be safe enough to play. How do we know that? There's a second wave of this virus coming through in the, in the next couple of months. What's going to be the impact on that in terms of moving forward toward some type of normalcy that happened before March 11, 2020, when basically, in my opinion, almost everything shut down? What is going to make it so in the spring, whether we're talking about January, February, March, whenever they decide that they're going to be having spring football or any time that they were thinking about having spring football or contemplating having spring football, what makes you think that we're going to have this virus more under control? Do you realize what country that we're living in? Do you realize what the people that we're dealing with? Come on, man. People want to sit there and talk about this is horrible and this is terrible. Hey, look in the mirror. In terms of the situation that we're in right now. Look at yourself in the mirror. Because we as a society are one of the are, are to blame as to why we're not having college football this year. All you fucking jackasses and all you fucking morons and all you people out there who don't want to wear a mask, who thought this bullshit was a hoax, who thought that this was nothing more than the flu, that this shouldn't be taken lightly, you are to blame. You are part of the reason why there's no college football this season. You are the reason why the college football season is in jeopardy for the fall, winter, and spring. Because instead of doing the responsible thing, instead of doing the mature thing, instead of doing the adult thing in terms of putting yourself in a position to where we can nip this COVID-19 to the point where we can have football, even if it would be with a limited amount of fans or no fans at all. No, motherfuckers out here acting stupid as shit want to walk around with no mask, want to walk around and talk about this is nothing more than the flu, this is no big deal, that the uh, death rate is only 0.3% and all this other bullshit and Dr. Fauci doesn't know what the hell he's talking about and you listen to this fucking moron in chief right here, this imbecilic, incompetent buffoon who didn't take it seriously, who wasn't prepared, who was too inept, who was too being a piece of shit, to get this stuff done, well, you know, there you go. There you go. Thank you very much. In terms of this is what we got. For all you jackasses who didn't take this seriously, this is on you also. And then we're speaking about what we're going to be trying to have it in the spring. No. No, man, college football should not be played in the spring. Regardless. Everybody thinks that, you know what, a vaccine is going to be coming. Even if they do come up with a vaccine, for this virus. It ain't like they're going to come up with this vaccine on Monday and by Friday the entire population of the United States is going to be vaccinated. I mean, you have people out there right now talking about, I ain't having the government, I don't trust the government enough to put anything in me in terms of vaccines or something like that. This is going to be with us forever. You're going to have people dying of Corona-19 and whatever other virus spawns now forever. That's going to be, this is going to be part of our lives forever. So it's just a matter of how, what can we do to try to minimize the risk moving forward to the point where, I don't know, I don't know. But to have 
spring football shows me if that's really true, and I don't think they're going to have it, but even if it is true, I mean, what happens if the SEC and the ACC go ahead with the season and they get to November and they have to shut the season down because of the COVID-19? What, all of a sudden then, you're just going to just kind of put it on the late teams that have played four or five, six games, college football games already. You're going to shut that down. The SEC and the Big 12 are going to shut that down. The AAC and others are going to shut that league down, shut those games down, and then, what, restart again in February or restart again in March with the possibility that they could start again and possibly later on in September of the year 2020 or October? I mean, this is ridiculous. Again, the one thing that I'm worried about with these kids, get your fucking education and learn and grow and learn and educate yourselves by talking to other people, being around people who don't like you, being environments of people who don't look like you, learn about yourselves, learn about females, learn about adults, learn about Hispanics, learn about blacks, learn about gays, learn about those of different races and faces and beliefs. That's what college is all about. That's more than that. It's the social impact of what college has. That's more important for me than getting some type of degree in psychology or business or communication. It's about learning. It's about growing. It's about making connections. It's about being on your own for the first time. It's about learning responsibilities. It's about building a foundation to make yourself a human being worth a damn, to make yourself a, a, a citizen of this country and of this world that's worth a damn, that can contribute in a meaningful, positive way. It's not about fucking playing football. It's not about appeasing your coach. It's not about making sure that he his checks don't bounce. It's not making sure that Joe's crap shack down the street doesn't go broke. It doesn't, doesn't deal with any of that stuff. They shouldn't have to deal with any of that stuff. So, you know, Reese Davis was on Get Up with Desmond Howard and Kirk Herbstreit. He was talking about the irresponsibility of having a college football season in the spring and then playing in the fall in the same year. This is what he said. I do want to get in one thing about the idea of a, a spring season. I think it's completely irresponsible. Prior to the pandemic, we have worked very hard in football to make it as safe as we possibly can. There have been countless studies about concussions. We have limited collisions in practice. We've limited the days of contact. And these two guys know very few teams ever even tackle to the ground in practice anymore, let alone in spring practice, maybe a couple, outside of a couple scrimmages or something. Game-like collisions, and these guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I've been watching this sport my whole life. Game-like collisions are different than the somewhat, if not largely controlled environment in practice. If you ask these guys, and not the NFL draft pick guys, they're not going to play. But if you ask these guys to come and go through those types of collisions and then turn around and do it again in the fall without pushing it out far enough so that a medical professional can convince me that there's been enough time not only to recover, but to try to prevent other injuries in addition to concussion and be properly uh, conditioned and trained for a football season and all the inherent risks that come with that, if you're going to do that and play 20 games, maybe 18, 20, 21 games in less than a calendar year, don't talk to me about safety anymore. I don't want to hear it. It's disingenuous if that's the case. And until a medical professional, some of whom I've run this by and they agree with me, tells me otherwise, I think spring followed by another fall that quickly together is completely irresponsible and does not have the best interest of the players at heart. Reese Davis is right. 
Studies about the effects of concussions and how practice and spring practice has been limited in terms of physicality and damage on their bodies by tackling to the ground and contract. I mean, contact, that's been that's been supervised. That's a lot more responsible now. You're speaking about game-type collisions are different than doing it in practice, much more damaging on the body, including the head and upper and other body parts. And you have former NCAA executive and college basketball player or college football player Mark Lewis. He said that playing two full seasons, he said, if you look, quote, if you look back to the last 20 years of college football, there's been a de-emphasis on spring activity, spring practice, and the number of days you can practice and number of days you can practice with pads, the number of contact practices you can have. All of those have been reduced with purpose. What are you gaining by playing in spring if you're trying to add more games? Has everything to do with money. Has every single thing to do with money. If you could promise these college football towns and communities, these universities, these regions, where they're going to be losing 100 million and 300 million and 500 million, if you could, could if you could promise the Power Five football conferences that you know what the four billion dollars that you're going to be losing somehow, some way, we will go ahead and recoup that money for you guys. If they could do that, then guess what? All of this nonsense, all of this bullshit, all of this stuff about is all about the student athletes. It's all about the student athletes and how safe it is and all, all this kind of nonsense. Their talk would then switch in terms of, you know what? Hey, you, you wouldn't have any more talk about playing college football. If there was a way where Clemson and North Carolina and Alabama and Auburn and LSU and Oklahoma State in Oklahoma, and Texas, and all of these schools in these Big 12 and SEC and ACC conferences, if you could say the budget or the amount of money that you're going to lose because if you play college football, if you don't play college football, the amount of money that you're going to lose, we'll go ahead and we'll give you that money back. Then college football would not be happening in 2020. Get fucking tee it. I'm recording this on a Friday. If they came down and the SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC got their money back in terms of the amount that they would lose, I'm speaking about in Waco, I'm speaking about in College Station, I'm speaking about in Stillwater, I'm speaking about in Notford, I'm speaking about in all these places, Tuscaloosa, all these places. By Monday, college football would be shut down. It would be shut down in Georgia. It would be shut down in Alabama. It would be shut down in Oklahoma. It would be shut down in Texas. It would be shut the fuck down. And then all of a sudden, you would hear these same athletic directors. You would hear these same presidents from these conferences. You would hear these same commissioners from these conferences who are looking to play football this year. All of a sudden now, they would switch their tone. They would switch their message. They would switch their talking points too. Well, I mean, shit, you know what? We just decided that, uh, you know, the, with the COVID-19, that, you know, it's too much of a risk to our student athletes and we're going to do everything we can to ensure that the safety of our student athletes is the main priority and we're not going to put them in any type of uh, harm whatsoever, regardless of the risk, regardless of how minimal it might be. No, we're so concerned about our student athletes and them as people and not just products that we can monetize and that we can uh, get, uh, run our community through and run our economic community through. No, 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 no. We're not going to see them as that. No, no. We see them as really, we see them as 18 to 22-year-old students who are here to play football and get themselves an education and getting themselves the education is the main thing. So that's the reason why we have decided to cancel the season. That's the, exci- that's the exact type of bullshit that you would get from these 
commissioners in these conferences to where they're going to be playing college football this season. That's exactly what you would get. And speaking about spring football, how would that affect spring recruiting? I mean, in the sport of football, you have one telephone call to a prospect or a prospect relative or guardian, legal guardian. You have one call between April 15th and May, 30, uh, May 31st of the prospect's junior year in high school. So an additional telephone calls to the prospects or the prospect's relatives or legal guardians may not be made prior to September 1st of the beginning of the prospect's senior year in high school. Thereafter, such telephone contact is limited to once per week outside of a contact period. During a contact period, such telephone contact may be at the institution's discretion. How all of this is going to be happening? How all of this is going to be taking place? How are college co uh, coaches, football coaches, where the lifeblood of their success, the lifeblood of their program is recruiting, how is that going to be happening if January, February, March, and April, or whoever, or whenever the spring football season they uh, propose, how is, that, how is that going to be for recruiting? What about the students? What about the um, uh, high school recruits? who are being recruited by these schools. What's going to be happening to them? 41 of the top 56 high school football recruits, according to ESPN.com, are already signed. So if they graduate early and get on campus, would you allow them to play immediately? Would that automatically have them? Because, you know, a lot of these uh, high-profile football players, they graduate from their high school in January, and then they enroll early. So they can get ready for spring practice, especially if you're speaking about a skilled player like the quarterback position. You see a lot of these top quarterback uh, uh, players in high school, they graduate uh, early so they can get on college campus and get a better opportunity to uh, start for their uh, university. So would that be a situation where if the schools decide that they're going to be playing spring football, does that mean that all of a sudden now a school uh, that a um, school can encourage uh, top flight high school football quarterback to graduate early so he can come in and vie for the spot for the spring football season. Same thing with a running back. Same thing with a wide receiver. Same thing with a safety or a defensive back. I don't know. High school football ends around Thanksgiving. Spring football is going to be starting around March and April. How, how would that work? How exactly would that work? So I don't know. And, and again, if... The SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC, they're going to be playing college football right now. Then doesn't that eliminate the opportunity for them to be playing spring football? So how does this work? So I guess if in in the case of both worlds being the best, I guess that you would have a national champion crowned in January and then another national champion crowned in March or April. And that national champion in March and April would be consisting of two colleges or maybe other. The Mountain West has uh, canceled their season. The MAC has canceled their season. So if we're speaking about crowning a champion, how exactly would that work also? And wouldn't you be trying? Are we just going to have six to eight games to play and then that's it? I'm quite sure there can't be any bowl games. I mean, bowl games lose money to begin with. Now you're speaking about a situation where you're going to be trying to have bowl games and you're going to have a limited amount of people uh, being able to go to the games. I, I, so I think bowl games are done. So I don't expect 
the Sugar Bowl or the Cotton Bowl or the Rose Bowl or any of them bowl games taking place, let alone some of the toilet bowls and the who care bowls and the irrelevant bowls and no one goes to the game bowls and this is only for the betters bowl. I mean, so so those type of meaningless bowl games, I'm quite sure they're not going to be uh, participating or they're not going to have a, a bowl game that season. So, you know, what, what's going to be happening with that? Are you still going to do a playoff? What's going to be, do the non-Power 5 schools finally get a chance? I mean, I'm thinking a situation where the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12, I mean, maybe if they go to some of these sister Power 5 conferences, you know, conferences within their region, a situation where they say, hey, you know what, we're still going to have a season and you guys might have an opportunity to go ahead and play for a national championship or you guys might have the opportunity if your record is good enough, they have the chance of being considered. I mean, how much would that maybe entice maybe some conferences, lower tier conferences to maybe rethink if they did cancel their football season? And what about the Big Ten and Pac-12? I mean, wouldn't those guys want to go to the Mountain West and some others to say, hey, hold on, hold on for a second. If we're going to have spring football, we're going to need a little bit more than just the Big 12, oh, excuse me, the, the uh, Big Ten and the uh, Pac-12. We're going to need some other uh, conferences that can be able to play in the spring. So, you know, hold on for a bit. Be with us. Don't go with the uh, SEC and the ACC and the Big 12. And when did the NCAA get involved? If they're going to let these conferences and everything do their thing, I mean, maybe they could take their head out of their ass and maybe say, well, if you're going to have these conferences playing in the fall, well, then maybe we can have these conferences playing then in the spring. And maybe we can set up something that way to where, again, the lower tier non-Power 5 conferences could have just as good a chance to play for a championship or play for a playoff or do whatever uh, than say just as much chance to save the schools from the Power 5 Conference. I don't know, man. I don't know how any of this shit is going to be going down. But uh, again, I I just feel that if you're going to be sitting there and you're talking about the welfare and the safety concerns of the student athletes and you start speaking about well you know economically this is the reason why we have to have a season because the city or this town is going to lose x amount of money and you know the the pandemic is going to be wiping out a lot anyway so i don't even understand what they're talking about in terms of well you know there's going to be an economic hit regardless what do you think the sec and the acc and the big 12 are salvaging their situation economically by playing no i'm quite sure there's still not going to be anybody that's going to go to the games in terms of if they do play this season even in a hundred thousand seat stadium what maybe at the best maybe possibly i don't know that you could have ten thousand people fifteen thousand people if you're speaking about a hundred thousand seat stadium like they do in alabama or or uh, lsu or 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 technically texas has a hundred thousand but what i'm saying is that that you could have maybe a fraction maybe the fact that you know what if for alabama football games in a hundred thousand seat stadium that you could have ten thousand people spread them out throughout the uh, stadium and make sure they wear their mask same thing at lsu same thing at auburn same thing at texas maybe you could have five thousand people go to the game seven thousand people go to the game maybe at the university of oklahoma you could have two the 3,000 people go to the game and maintain their social distancing and stay six feet apart. I don't know. I have no idea. But the loss of money for these campuses, 
the loss of money for these college towns, the economic hit is going to be substantial, whether they play college football or not. So I don't I don't know exactly what all that this does, but for me it just just kind of makes me sick. The fact that uh, you know, once again, athletes who aren't getting paid with the responsibility that they have. Do you realize, if you really think about it, how much responsibilities these guys have? These guys are responsible for so many adults. These people are, when we're speaking about 18 to 22 year old, what other aspect in life does an 18 or 22 year old have in terms of the impact that it can have on a certain number of adults? In instances, we're talking about hundreds of thousands. Again, I go back to the situation with Ohio State, where you're speaking about thousands of jobs that could be in jeopardy if the college football season isn't played. Hundreds of millions of dollars that are being flushed down the toilet for a season because college football isn't going to be played or college football is going to be in jeopardy. Waco, Texas, College Station, Texas, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Nick Saban ain't the reason why Tuscaloosa is bringing in all that money. Jimbo Fisher isn't the reason why College Station needs his football program. That coach is not unless you're going to have coaches go out there, have the big screen with nobody in the stands and nobody playing, and just have the coaches talking for three hours about, I don't know, shits, kicks, and giggles. The reason why college football exists is because of the players. It's because of the free labor that they get from these guys who, in some instances, not even old enough to fucking have a drink, not old enough to go to a fucking bar, not old enough to go to a fucking club. And you're asking these guys again to make sure that a father of five living in these uh, communities has a job that you're responsible for that? You're speaking about an adult a coach who's relying on 18, 19, 20-year-old kids to make sure that his bills get paid, that his house is paid for, that his children can go to college, that he can keep his wife happy, that he can have a retirement fund. Nick Saban ain't making eight, nine, ten million dollars. Devil Sweeney ain't making that kind of money. The top coaches in college football and basketball, they ain't making that type of money because they're great guys and they're great educators and they graduate a lot of folks and they have their players be able to walk the dogs across the street and help old old ladies across the street and get cats from out of trees? No. No, man. Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, Mike Krzyzewski, Patrick Ewing, all of these guys who are making millions upon millions of dollars, they need the talent of these kids to win. No one gives a fuck, especially if you're speaking about college football in the towns that are going to be deciding on having football this fall, are going to trudge through pandemic be damned, head in the sand while the communities and the area and the state around them are becoming, you know, uh, COVID-19 hotspots. These coaches are putting their heads in the sand because fuck it, man. They need to win football games. These folks need to do something in terms of getting football out there as a product. And it ain't Dabo Sweeney, and it ain't Nick Saban, and it ain't Ed Orgeron, and it ain't uh, any of those guys responsible for the enthusiasm, for the passion, for the love. It's the players that they recruit to bring to these programs. That's the reason why. If Nick Saban all of a sudden for the next five years goes three and eight, Nick Saban don't have a fucking job. If Ed Orgeron... The toast of Baton Rouge and probably the whole state of Louisiana and that part of the region, if for the next three years he goes three and eight, 
He's done. He's gone. That's it. Ask Gene Chizik how fleeting success and fame can be in that area as far as being a football coach is concerned. So he needs those players to keep themselves going. And it wouldn't give a goddamn if Nick Saban graduated 100% of his players. It wouldn't mean a goddamn if Nick Saban, Ed Orgeron, Tom Herman, Lincoln Riley, Mike Gundy, that those fan bases and those communities and those boosters and those advertisers, they wouldn't, that student body population, they wouldn't give a goddamn if those guys graduated 100% of their players and all of those players went on to become CEOs and doctors and social workers and found a cure for AIDS and found a vaccine for the COVID-19. It wouldn't matter any of that shit. It wouldn't matter. They could win Nobel Peace Prizes year after year. They could end peace in the Middle East. They could bring the races in this country closer together. They could you know, decrease the gender gap. They could do all those things. They can help women. They can, you know, have us understand and make the world better for gays and lesbians and all those folks. It wouldn't give a goddamn if those coaches in those regions in college football and basketball were producing those types of human beings and adults. If you go two and nine, if you go three and eight, if you don't beat your rival, you're gone. You're finished. You're done. You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. So it's, it's just amazing to me, just amazing to me, the fact that, again, you look back on this and you see how, especially with the college football players are being treated. Hey, look, man, you know what? Basketball, high school basketball players, they don't have to go to college and they can still, once again, make a really good living playing overseas. You know, if they're mediocre basketball players in college, there's so many basketball leagues where you can go over and you can make a good living and you can play and you can, you know, become worldly in your attitudes and in your views of life, which make you a better person. There's so many more opportunities. There's so many more avenues. In college football, you've got four years to prove yourself as far as being an NFL football player. Maybe you can go to Canada and play afterwards, but maybe there's the Arena League, which ain't shit. But for the most part, in terms of making a living playing football, there's only two choices you have after college. You have the NFL and you have the CFL. And the fact that these guys who, when they become football players, professional football players, they don't have the same responsibilities that they did when they have when they were college football players. A player for the Cincinnati Bengals, a player for the Washington football team, a player for the Los Angeles Chargers and Rams, no matter what their position is. They don't have the type of responsibility in terms of what they, about them playing, the effects that it has on their community, economically, spiritually, everything else. They don't have that same impact that they would if they were playing in some of these um, football crazy towns. And these guys don't get paid for it. These guys, in terms of suffer concussions and everything, the bumps and the bruises and the scars and the pains and the injuries that they have, that they've accumulated in four years, three years of college football, and the situation like that, it's ridiculous. And then you have these, you have these universities, you have the adults, you know, trying to mask oh yeah, we're trying to make sure that it's safer, that we're trying to do everything that we can and, you know, make sure that the safety is 
is uh, is something else. And you're going to put these guys out there on the football field if you're the University of Georgia, even though Athens is not like Atlanta or any anywhere else in terms of the possible um, the possible getting affected with this virus. You're still going to put those kids out there, huh? You're still going to sit there and say, well, you know, if they weren't with us, if they're not under our supervision, then, you know, we don't know what would happen to those guys. Yeah, we do know what would happen to those guys. They would probably come down with the corona, as it was shown in the spring and the summer. And this nonsense about, well, you know, some of these guys needs us, need us, and what happens if they go back home? Number one, they don't have to go back home. You know, most of these folks in terms of these schools have already said that, you know what, if you stay on campus, we will, we'll, we're still going to have the, you're still going to have the scholarship. You're still going to be able to take online classes. You're still going to be able to go to class. You're still going to have access to the facilities. So none of these guys are being kicked off of campus if the college football season ended. And besides, man, we're speaking about 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old kids. While, as I mentioned before, that when you're speaking about real life, when you're speaking about life for real, these folks are just babies. You don't start really living for real until you really graduate and you have to start looking for a job and you have to start having bills to pay and those type of things. That's when that's when life is like, is like real, real. I mean, right now, when you're in adolescence, you're just going through training camp and when you're going through college, that's like the preseason of life. You know what I'm talking about? By the time that you're born, by the, whenever you're hanging around with your mama and your mommy and daddy are in charge of paying them bills and you're going to the school, and no matter whether you get A's or F, they still got to keep you in school. You could be the fucking clown of clowns and you still got to go to school. You can get an A and that doesn't mean you're going to be getting a raise. That doesn't mean you're going to be promoted. That doesn't mean that your 401k is going to look any better. You know, those are the building blocks when you're speaking about going to elementary school and middle school and high school. Those are the building blocks of life right there. Those are when you start getting into good habits. Those are when you start building and growing and maturing for what real life is going to be. Then you go to college and that's the next step. You know, you, you graduate and you go to the preseason. And college is just kind of a false narrative of what you're going to be dealing with when you get into the real world. So once you hit 22, my man, my lady, and you leave the nest and you walk across that stage with that diploma in your hand, that's when real life starts. That's when we start taking notes. That's when we really start keeping score. Because if you fuck up in the real world, they don't give you an F. They fire your fucking ass. And try getting unemployment. Try going through this bullshit right now. Try getting another job if you're a fuck up. If you don't decide what you want to do. If you decide to be a jackass. How did I get into this? How did I even get started on all this? All I'm trying to say is, what am I trying to say? Fuck it. What I'm trying to say is that, you know, the NCAA, basically what I'm trying to say is the NCAA, really, when you have these kids out here who are just going through the preseason of life and you expect them to do things in terms of what a CEO would do or what a boss would do in terms of their responsibilities, in terms of the responsibilities that they have, in terms of people keeping their job and the economic impact that they have and the ramifications of a five-star recruit not living up to its glory. A five-star recruit, whether it be on the offensive line or the running back position or the wide receiver position or the defensive end position, do you realize the ramifications of a bad recruiting class can have on a region in terms of the economic value, 
If you have a bad recruiting class that doesn't live up to expectations on the football field, do you know what type of impact that has on the economy locally in that uh, region? The effects that it has on people's jobs? That's a lot of pressure, man. And then they have to deal with the bullshit of Twitter and social media. A lot of times, not coming from their fellow students or people of their own age, many times it's from adults where they have to see the racial slurs and they have to see the death threats and they have to see you're nothing but a piece of shit and, and why don't you go fucking kill yourself and I can't believe you cost me $1,200 on that parlay, you piece of shit. I hope you die and I hope your mother gets raped or something like that. You know, all of these vile, disgusting things that these guys have to go through. That these players have to go through on an everyday basis, every season basis. You're going to try to tell me that we're supposed to be believing that these universities, that these college coaches and others and these athletic directors, when they're speaking about, yeah, the reason why that we're going to be playing college football and the ACC and the SEC and the Big 12 is the reason why we're playing because we care about these kids, that we have their best interest at heart. Fuck no, fuck no, fuck no. Because guess what? If that was true, then those guys would be not playing football this season. If you're 18, 19, 21, 22 years old and you're worried that if you leave the college campus that you're going to go back to a bad situation and do something stupid. If you're really in a situation where you're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old and you're not smart enough, you don't have the common sense enough to realize that if you go ahead and you put yourself in... Situations of peril concerning contracting this virus by going to a party or not listening or ignoring the advice of those who know what they're talking about a lot more than you, then fuck you then, man. Then you deserve you deserve to get Herman Caned. How's, how's Herm doing right now? Anybody seen Mr. Kane? Anybody seen Mr. 999? Fucking dumbass went to a Donald Trump rally and guess what happened? Oh, he's no longer with us. Stupid ass. So, you know, if you're going to be doing that type of nonsense, if you're that dumb, if you're that irresponsible, if you're that lacking in common sense to where you're not going to be taking this shit seriously, and the only chance that you have not to do something that dumb is to make sure that the coaches are going to be coddling you and babying you and treat you like you're 12 years old, well, then fuck you, then. I don't need you. I don't need you on college campus to begin with. What are you doing on a college campus if you're going to be acting that irresponsible and immature and that ridiculously stupid? So, you know... That's uh, that's my take on it, man. You know, all this stuff about, oh, we care about the student-athletes. We really do care about them. Bullshit. Y'all don't care about the student-athletes. Well, I should, I should say this. I should say this. Oh, that's wrong of me to say that. I will say this. To me, these universities, these communities, these fan bases, they care more about themselves and their money and their pleasure and their joy and their entertainment value in watching these guys play a lot more than these college football players are as human beings. Wendell's World of Sports, 
I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So doggone glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going on in the world of sports. Been mainly talking about the uh, NCAA situation in terms of college football is concerned. Been speaking about the responsibility. Like I said, it just amazes me the responsibilities that these um, college football players have. And that's college football. I mean, it's even worse than college basketball where you can really, I mean, me being a huge Georgetown fan, as I mentioned before, I mean, I'm I'm just as guilty in my irresponsibility and my immaturity and my stupidity in terms of, uh, sometimes I have to check myself in terms of, you know, when I'm reading or I'm watching a YouTube video or I'm following the recruiting, ESPN.com, 24-7 recruiting, max preps, anything that I can get my hands on in terms of um, players, high school basketball players. And every summer until this year, because of the COVID-19 virus, we'll go out to um, the um, AAU tournaments that come out here in, in Vegas from Nike and Adidas. And I've been to Bishop Gorman on the other side of town. It's about a 30 mile drive, but I don't care. You go to Foothill, you go to Bishop Gorman because I'm, I'm making that sacrifice because, you know, I've read somewhere in a recruiting site or something like that, that this five-star recruit has Georgetown as one of the schools of his interest. So I'm going to go there and I'm going to take a look at him and I'm going to I'm going to be watching him. And when it comes to uh, signing day and recruiting day, I'm going to get mad at him because if he doesn't go to Georgetown, what the fuck's his problem? I can't believe this. How stupid can you be? How in the world can you turn down an opportunity to play for a guy who's been one of the greatest who was one of the greatest basketball players of all time in terms of college is concerned, is going to go down as a top 50 all-time NBA great basketball player, a guy who spent 17 fucking years in the NBA, make that 18 years as a cornerstone in the NBA, a multiple-time all-star, a guy who led his team to the NBA Finals, the most iconic player along with Walt Frazier and and, um, and uh, Willis Reed of a, of a historical franchise like the New York Knicks, then went 15 years as an assistant coach and learned under Pat Riley, learned under the Van Gundys, learned under Steve Clifford. How in the world can you have a guy who's coaching college basketball right now with 33 years of playing and coaching experience in the NBA? And you're a five-star recruit, Chet Holden. And you're a five-star recruit, Patrick Baldwin Jr. And you're a five-star recruit, Cole Anthony. Your father played for Patrick Ewing, for God fucking sakes. And you're going to go somewhere else? And you're thinking about going somewhere else? Chet Holgren is thinking about going to Gonzaga? Are you fucking serious? How many years has Mark Few played in the NBA? Who did Mark Few learn his basketball act? Where did Mark Few get his basketball acumen from? Was it someone like Pat Riley? Was it someone like Stan Van Gundy? Was it someone like Steve Clifford? Was it some? How many NBA players has Mark Few worked with? Had you worked with Yao Ming? Had you worked with Kimball Walker? Had you worked with Dwight Howard when Dwight Howard was in his prime? Had you worked with those guys? Oh shit, Patrick Ewing has? Damn. And you're still not going to consider Georgetown? You see, you see my you see my ignorance? You see my immaturity right there? You see my one of one of the character flaws that I have getting upset with these guys? You see that? This kid's 18 fucking years old. Chet Holmgren is, what, a senior in high school? These guys who I'm yelling and screaming at and all these type of deals. Fucking high school kids, for God fucking sake. They don't owe me shit. They don't owe me a goddamn thing. And I'm up here. I mean, those guys should tell me to go fuck myself. Well, there's only one of me. They should tell me to go fuck myself. But uh, that's how I feel. 
And it's like, I consider myself tame in a situation like that. You've got these high school football and basketball players. And, you know, I'm quite, I, I, I don't do anything social media wise. I don't, you know, friend them on Facebook or I don't follow them on Twitter. And then write, go to Georgetown, you skinny piece of shit. Or I hope you die in a car crash. I mean, I'm not that, I'm not that ruthless. I'm not that ignorant. I'm not that bad. But I mean, this is what these guys go through. <clears throat> in terms of when they're high school seniors, so and these high-profile uh, recruits, so I mean they they learn pretty quickly, you know who has it, who has their back and who doesn't, who keeping it real and who who doesn't keep it real, you know who's a friend and who's a foe. Now they just think that when these guys go to college, especially now, this is a good example with this pandemic. And yeah, these guys want to play and they love playing and this, that, and the other. And if it was their choice that they would go ahead and play. I mean, these guys are like boxers, man. These guys are like fighters in terms of, you know, take me out on my shield. Don't don't stop the fight. I want to go out. If I have to die, I die fighting for that. That sounds good and that sounds cool and that sounds wonderful. But that's the reason why you have more level-headed people in your corner. That's the reason why you have a referee. So you don't have to make those type of decisions, you know? So... Yeah, not the same thing with college football. Yeah, it's a pandemic and everything, but you know what? We're young, we're tough, we're strong, we're invincible, we're 19, 20, 21, 22 years old. It's not even that. I mean, how many males have that type of attitude? I know I do. How many times do we have the sniffles or do we have the cough or we might be feeling sick or whatever? And we all know that we should maybe go to the doctor or maybe we should take what we have a little bit more seriously. But we're like, nah, we're cool. We're good. This will pass. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. I'm going to keep going. You know, you need somewhere to be like, no, you're not fine. No, you're not going to keep going. No, you're not tough enough to, you know, wait this thing out. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to do the responsible thing. And we're going to nip this in the bud. And that's what the commissioner for the Big Ten and the commissioner for the Pacific 12 are doing right now. They're taking that decision out of the hands of someone who's biased in terms of the reason why they should be playing amidst this pandemic. And I just think that these guys in the ACC and the um, SEC and the Pac-12, I just think that they're more in it in terms of, you know, we're college football is too big to fail in terms of the economics, in terms of everything else. And I think when you're dealing with something that we don't know of, something that could be as, you know, horrible as COVID-19, and we're still learning about this, and we're not out of the woods by any means with this. And sometimes, sometimes I think just because a lot of these areas of the country are in phase two and you know, we see that the NBA is back on, even though it's in a limited uh, situation in terms of no fans and being in a bubble. Same thing with, um, same thing with uh, the NHL. And as you're also speaking about NASCAR, and we see sporting events coming back. And like I mentioned before, in a limited role, it's like we're starting to, you know, go down. We're almost through with this virus avenue. And no, that's not the case. That's not the case at all. And when I hear these coaches talk about spring football and all these other type of things. It just shows, I don't know, man. It just shows in my mind a certain level of irresponsibility in terms of you're not really concerned about, um, not really concerned about your quote unquote student athletes. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. What do I got in the background here? Watching as I'm doing this show from my humble abode in Northwest Las Vegas on a hot, 
day, another hot day in August out here in the in the desert. I'm watching Game Five of the 1978 NBA Finals between the Washington Bullets and the Seattle SuperSonics. Before that, I was watching a little bit as I was doing the first couple of segments of my show. I was watching Game Four of the 1975 NBA Finals between the Golden State Warriors and the Washington Bullets. You remember that song? Bullet fever, they got past the Iceman. Bullet fever, oh, I love that song. In fact, You know, for a certain generation in the D.C. area, that song still holds up. <laughs> Dick Mana, Bernie Bickerstaff, yeah, that squad, Kevin Greavy, Greg Ballard, my man, Bobby Dandris, Wes Unseld, Elvin Hayes, going up against, you know, Marvin Webster, Gus Williams, Dennis Johnson, downtown Freddie Brown, Lenny Wilkins out there in his disco outfit, in his disco suit. Looking dapper. Then I was taking a look at the, as I mentioned before, the Golden State Warriors and the uh, Washington Bullets at the time. And you had Al Adels getting in a fight with uh, Mike Reardon when he thought that, uh, you know, Reardon was being too physical with Rick Barry and Keith Wilkes before he became Jamal Wilkes officially. And yeah, man, watching these old NBA basketball games, though, I still say, man, you watch these games and then you watch what's going on in the NBA right now. Yeah, is the... NBA three-point shooting sometimes out of control or a lot of times out of control. Yeah, the fact that maybe it's turned more into a three-point shooting contest or a dunk contest where the mid-range game is no longer there because everybody's shooting the 3D analytics and everything. Yeah, that's true. But man, if you take a look at the size of the players in the game today and the, um, and the skill level of these players today, and then you watch, just watch tonight, just watch any game from Orlando. And then go to YouTube and watch the game that I'm watching, which is Golden State and, uh, oh, there he goes. Oh, Al Adels, calm down, Al, calm down. Go ahead and watch game four of Golden State and Washington. And just the size of these players and the speed of these players and the athleticism of these players. No, there's no comparison. None. Zero. It's just amazing to me. It's just amazing how many wide-open 15-footers these guys are shooting. There are no opportunities. There's very rarely opportunities for an NBA player to shoot a wide-open 15- to 17-footer. Maybe on a transition, but within a half-court set, you don't see NBA players, for the most part, getting wide-open looks from 17 to 19 feet or 15 feet if you're a small forward or if you're a shooting guard. Like uh, you see when you're watching these games these days, just uh, incredible. So, you know, it's, it's these guys are getting bigger. These guys are bigger. These guys are more athletic. And these guys are just, as far as every NBA player is concerned on the whole, they're just more skilled. They're just more skilled. But, man, I would not want to fuck with Al, Al Adels back in the day. That was a... 
that was a man you did not fuck with when he was playing with the San Francisco Warriors with Chamberlain and Guy Rogers or when he was coaching the Golden State Warriors winning the championship back in 1975. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I was thinking about this when you're, uh, when I was talking about the cancellation of the football season, college football season in the Pac-12 and the Big Ten. And I was thinking about the teams or the conferences that were going to be playing, namely the Big 12, the ACC, and the SEC. And I was thinking to myself, ah, the old political angle, everything is about politics, right? Sure. Take a look at the majority of schools who are trying to play this fall. They're all Republican for the most part. If you're thinking Alabama, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Tennessee, South Carolina, Mississippi, Mississippi, Texas, North Carolina, for the most part, Florida, northern, southern part of Florida, where you have where you have Florida State and, and, and them folks playing. Yeah, man. I mean, there's no there's no uh, coincidence that a lot of these folks who are canceling, you take a look at the Pac-12 conferences, and you take a look at states like California, Arizona, that could go either way. You know, Utah is going to be Republican. But for the most part, a lot of this is also based on, you know, when you have the fucking asshole in the office right now, you know, throwing in his bullshit two cents about whether they should play or not, you don't think that because on his Twitter account, he retweeted, I don't say his name, number 45, president number 45, who I will not recognize by name, was up there retweeting what Trevor Lawrence, the hashtag let us play. You know, you don't think that had an impact on the decisions for the commissioner when you're speaking about, you know, states like Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina, possibly the only places outside of Kansas, and Kansas is another place that we forgot, that the, that piece of shit can go and actually get cheered for the most part. You don't think that played a role in those guys deciding that they were going to be playing football this fall? I think it played a big part. I think it played a real big part. So, you know, what are you going to do? What's your student athletes do, by the way, here on Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast? I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. What do you think the uh, student athletes, these college student athletes from the Big Ten and the Pac-12 should do? As I mentioned before, Ohio State announced that its players are going to remain on scholarship. COVID-19 testing protocols will remain in place. Tutoring and scheduling services will still be available. You're speaking players will have access to team facilities, the locker rooms, the sports performance, medical training, and nutrition areas. They're going to be available under the current health and safety protocols that are in place. The University of Minnesota confirmed that their players will be invited to stay on campus and remain on scholarship. The Michigan football program has paused all official practices, but players are allowed to participate in voluntary practices by virtue of existing NCAA rules. Illinois coach Levy Smith Smith met uh, virtually with players Tuesday evening and offered them the option to stay on campus and work out or return home. I just think this whole stuff about these guys need to recruit. If you're someone like a Justin Fields, are you going to be recruiting? Are you going to be going somewhere to try to play uh, this season? I, I just think that, no, I, I wouldn't do that. Number one, even though those guys are going to be playing the risk of catching this virus I think is still greater playing if you're not playing about these guys I don't know what their academic situation is I don't know how important 
as of right now, graduating is to these guys. So if they are interested in playing football and graduating, I mean, they're going to have to be going to a program. They're going to have to be going to a football program in the university where it's going to have their major. And all of that's a big deal in terms of, hey, look, how many, you know, when you start talking about transferring and transferring uh, classes and grades, it's, I went through that myself. When I went from San Diego Mesa and then years later when I re-enrolled in college and went to Goucher College, I had to go back and, you know, go ahead and get all of the classes that I took at Mesa, which was about two years worth, send them over to Goucher. And they were like, well, this one doesn't, uh, this one doesn't uh, count. That one doesn't count. This one doesn't count. We need the syllabus for this class to see if this one is going to count. So I transferred when I left San Diego Mesa, I got my AA. I had 60 credits, but then when I transferred and I decided to go to school and finish my degree at Goucher College years later, and they asked for my transcript, I went from having like 60 credits to like 45 or some shit like that because, oh, well, we don't, uh, this class didn't uh, transfer, that class didn't transfer. I had to send like three or four syllabuses to make sure that uh, it was copacetic, that uh, class that I took would transfer and, and count. Uh, toward the school that I was going to when I re-enrolled in Goucher. So it was just a headache. So again, how much does that, how much does a player who's looking to transfer from a Big Ten or Pac-12 school to a school that's currently going to be playing as of right now, I mean, how much does that go into? I'm quite sure you're speaking about a player with the caliber of Justin Fields that there's ways that they can get that done ASAP and that wouldn't be a, a, a huge problem. But still, again, how difficult is it going to be? Classes, getting on campus, the teammates meshing with the team. Already now you're speaking about it being August 14th. If these uh, schedules, or if these games are going to be starting in less than about, in about five or six weeks, how much time is that quarterback going to have to acclimate himself? How much time is the player going to be able to acclimate himself with the team, with the coaches and and everything, the uh, environment surrounding him. I don't know, man. I don't know. For me, it would just be a situation where, look, if you're not really going to be an NFL player and you're really set in stone about wanting to play college football, I say welcome to the real world, man. That's life. Life sucks. Life ain't fair. So, yeah, it sucks the fact that you missed out on the opportunity not to play football. Maybe there's a situation where you can redshirt or talk to somebody and say, well, if I can play one more year uh, next season, or, you know, if I was going to be a senior this year, what's the possibilities of me playing next season for Ohio State or, or Michigan or Penn State or Michigan State and such? So I, I don't know. But what, one thing I, I really don't want to hear because I've been hearing this a lot in terms of, oh, we need to feel sorry for these players. We, you know, what's happening right now with the Pac-12 and the Big Ten not having college football, you feel sorry for the kids. You feel, I, I can only hear that logic, I can only hear that nonsense for so long before I say, all right, guys, enough of the fucking pity party. All right, enough with all that bullshit. Okay, it sucks that they don't get an opportunity to play college football. Yes, it does. And my heart does go out for for some of these guys who this might be their last opportunity to play college football. Maybe they don't have the opportunity to play for another year. Maybe they need to 
hurry up and graduate and get a job because of financial situations dealing with other family members. Maybe some of these guys are married and have a child and they need to go ahead and if they're not going to be playing football, start their careers, start their lives uh, making money so they can fend for their families and, 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 and uh, be responsible in that situation. So maybe in some instances, because again, this isn't basketball where you have umpteen options of playing professionally and making money. Again, CFL, NFL. That's about it, right? In terms of making some real money. So for some of these guys, this is going to be it. And it sucks. And it's horrible. And it stinks. But hey, man, welcome to life. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. You still have the opportunity to go to class. You still have the opportunity to graduate. You still have the opportunity to try and gain employment as a player in the NFL. The NFL is still going to be looking for players next season, the season after that. You know, you take a look at many guys who have gone to the NFL who didn't go straight out of high school. Excuse me, go straight out of college. Before quarterbacks, you take a look at someone like a Curtin Warner and take a look at his story. He played in NFL Europe. He played in the Arena League. He was bagging groceries or some shit like that. You know, you talk about someone like a Tommy Maddox who was drafted early out of UCLA and he played for the Denver Broncos for a while, but he was out of football and he was doing insurance and he didn't think it was, um, he didn't feel fulfilled. So he went back to uh, play football, and he was the starting quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers for a little bit, took over from Cordell Stewart and had a couple of more good years and I guess got himself enough years to uh, get a pension from the NFL. So he's set in those ways. So, I mean, there's other avenues that you could go. If you're good enough to play in the NFL, you'll play in the NFL. Believe me. It might not be the traditional way, but if you're good enough to play in that league, they'll find you. They'll give you an opportunity to show that you're good enough. So I'm not, I, 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 I'm, I don't know. Oh, these poor guys. Oh, this, that, and the other. I mean, give, give me a fucking break. They're still on scholarship. They're still going to come out of college debt-free. The worst thing that's happened to them is they won't get an opportunity to play college football this year. This year. And the greater scheme of life, big fucking deal. As I mentioned before, you know what? If that's the worst thing that's ever happened to you in your life when you're 75, 80 years old, you'll be the luckiest motherfucker who's ever learned, who's ever lived and learned. You know who I feel sorry for? Because of this pandemic over the past five months, minimum, and what's going to be happening going forward? I have sympathy. I have real sympathy. I have much more sympathy and sorrow for the over 150,000 people who have died because of the virus. People who have lost their jobs because of the virus. People who are going to lose their homes because of COVID-19. That's who I feel sorry for. That's who my sympathy is going for. That's who, you know, I'm not saying, oh my goodness, what let me see here. And yeah, I know everything's relative. I know when you put everything in perspective. I understand that. I understand on a sports talk show that you have to keep it mainly towards sports. So yeah, as far as the sports angle is concerned, yeah, it sucks that these 18 to 22-year-old football players are not going to have an opportunity in some cases, in some instances, regarding on the school that you're going to. You're not going to have that opportunity to play college football. No fault of your own. Yeah, man, that sucks. But guess what? The people who have lost their jobs because of this virus... That's no fault of their own. People who are going to lose their homes because of COVID-19, that's no fault of their own. People right now in Nevada who are struggling because they're not getting the unemployment that they deserve because the unemployment system out here in the state is a fucking joke. And you've had people like myself, but you've had other people who have been out there four or five months who don't have a paycheck 
who aren't making a penny, who are falling behind on their bills, who are needing to take care of their families, who don't have the necessary funds to take care of their children. Yeah, that's the people I feel sorry for. Those are the people who are really feeling the pain. And by by and once again, by no fault of their own. So you know, 18 to 22 years old. Good life good life lesson for you. Learn it learn it early. Life ain't always fair. Life is not always fair. So let's kind of tone down on the, oh, these poor kids. I feel sorry for them. The fact they're not going to be able to play college football in some instances. They're not going to be able to finish their careers. Oh, my goodness gracious. Please give me a break. There's a lot of things to feel more sympathetic for. There's more people in dire situations that I have more sympathy for than a football player who loses his last opportunity to play college football. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Last segment of the program, y'all. Yeah, speaking about what's going down in the NBA. Get him, John Tesh. What did you like, the CBS version better or the NBC version better? I played the uh, 1990s NBC version of uh, the NBA, the theme song. This is the uh, 1985 CBS version. This is what I grew up on in terms of the uh, watching the NBA on CBS. Yeah, I kind of like the CBS version better. I like this a lot better. Even though, you know, mainly because, like I mentioned before, I mean, you know, I was growing up with this version. Magic Johnson, my man, is the reason why I became a basketball fan. But, uh, you know, both versions are awesome. But the NBA regular season is ending. The playoffs are starting really on Saturday. Well, really, if you think about it, the playoffs really started on Thursday, even though they weren't what you would consider playoffs. But the fact that if you're speaking about with Memphis and Phoenix and playing for the uh, play-in game and the eighth seed for the Western Conference, you know, really it started on um, it started on Thursday when what a game it was. But you know, the end of the end of the regular season really can't end soon enough with the NBA playoffs starting this upcoming Monday. I think uh, Monday players are starting to become really salty and irritable as you think about it. Did you see the headbutt by Giannis Antetokounmpo? On Mo Wagner, he was suspended one game without pay for a headbutting him during a stoppage and play. The it, it happened 
what uh, about it happened? It was uh, he was assessed a flagrant foul and ejected. It occurred with 8:50 remaining in the second quarter, with the Bucks beating the my beloved Wizards 126-113. You had Paul George and Damian Lillard, you know, ending their beef under them with their misunderstanding. Um, spoke about that on my last podcast. You had Chris Paul and Jimmy Butler kind of getting into it because uh, Chris Paul threw a ball that Duncan Robinson's noggin. I don't know, man. It's just like, man, guys are just like, you know what? I'm kind of getting sick and tired of this bullshit. They've been away from their family. They've been away from the routine now for a little bit. So I think these guys are starting to get just a little bit irritable hanging out there in Orlando, especially that they've been kind of compromised in what they can do and kind of what they can do to relax, so to speak. So the question is going to be is, is this nonsense going to spill over to the playoffs? I just think that there's just too much at stake for the players to risk any type of suspension by going off on each other, or getting into a fight or nonsense like that. I think they will, instead of taking it out on each other physically, I think they will take it out on the officials. I think the whining and the complaining toward the officials is going to be higher than usual. So that'll be interesting. So I think you'll be seeing a lot of technical fouls, and I think you'll be seeing a lot of uh, you know talking between the teams and saying, hey, knock the shit off or leave me the fuck alone or else I'm going to tee everybody up and throw you the fuck out of here. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. But for the most part, the playoffs are set. In the Eastern Conference, you got the Milwaukee Bucks versus Orlando, the Miami Heat versus the Indiana Pacers, the Boston Celtics playing the Philadelphia 76ers, the Toronto Raptors versus the Brooklyn Nets. Looking at the potential upsets in close games, the only ones that I see that could be of any type of uh, value in terms of interest because Milwaukee's going to roll Orlando, Toronto's going to roll the Nets, even though, man, the Nets play fucking hard. Did you see that game the other day, last night, against the uh, Portland Trailblazers? Man, those guys just don't quit, man. Paris LeVert is a baller, and uh, Jacques Vaughn is doing an awesome job. I don't know if he's going to get the job, because I guess you have to check with Kyrie Irving. And if you're a coach and you don't have a championship team, do you really want to deal with Kyrie Irving, especially with Kevin uh, Kevin Durant coming back? Uh, Basketball-wise, fuck yeah, you would love to. But geez, man, how much of a basketball savant being Kyrie Irving? That's great and everything. But how much are you willing to put up with him being a fucking... Oh, I don't know what the hell. I don't know what the hell to call him. A unique personality... I mean, how much does that overshadow the fact that he's one of the more talented players in the NBA over the last few years? So I don't know. But Jacques Vaughn has been doing a absolutely fantastic job. So Brooklyn, Toronto, I see that maybe going six games. Milwaukee, either a four-game sweep or a gentlemanly sweep of five games. The two Eastern Conference playoff matchups I'm interested in are the Miami Heat Milwaukee, Miami Heat, Indiana Pacers, and the Boston Celtics, Philadelphia 76ers. Because of the fact of the weakness when speaking of Philadelphia versus Boston, the one thing, if Joel Embiid can just go fucking off, if Joel Embiid, Embiid against the Celtics, Daniel Tice, God bless you. I don't know what they're going to do with that. Enos Kanter, God bless you. But there's no one on the Celtics that can even come close to Joel Embiid, if Joel Embiid is, Embiid is engaged and he wants to fucking dominate. If he wants to dominate like like nobody's business and average like a 40-20 against Boston, he's going to be able to do it. Now the question is, does he have the want to to do it? If Philadelphia is going to put him in the 
in, in circumstances to get that. But it's going to be interesting because we don't know. Philadelphia is a great home team. Philadelphia is a horrible road team. We don't know what it's like on a neutral site. During the restart of the season, playing in the bubble, Philadelphia played up to their competition. So what does that mean? Does that mean that then against the Celtics, they're going to be playing great because the Celtics are one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference? I saw them play, was speaking about the 76ers. Saw them play against the Orlando Magic for a half. They were putrid. Saw them play against the Washington Wizards for a half. They went through the motions. Um, you could sit there and say, well, once these teams, A, qualify for the playoffs, which you knew they were going to do, and basically had their seating already set in stone for the playoffs, that, you know, they took their foot off the the enthusiasm uh, enthusiasm level and just kind of went down a little bit. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Then... You have the Western Conference playoff, they're almost set, where you have the top 11 teams that are still eligible, really down to uh, nine. When you have the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Houston Rockets, the Utah Jazz, and then in the playoff game, after the Dallas Mavericks, you have the Portland Trailblazers and the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, Damian Lillard, man, Damian Lillard getting it done. And it'll be interesting to see what he does against the Los Angeles Lakers if Portland can get past the Memphis Grizzlies. But uh, you heard me talk about Lillard, 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 Lillard a lot on the last podcast, along with the greatness of Luka Doncic. That game he had where he outplayed Luka in that 136-132, or excuse me, 134-131 win over Dallas the other night where he scored 61 17 to 32 from the floor, 9 to 17 from behind the three-point line while making all 18 free throw attempts, being the third 60-point game of the season, which puts him along with uh, Wilt Chamberlain as the only players in league history of three or more 60-point games in one season. Of course, Wilt averaged 50 points a game in the 1961-62 season where he had 15 60-point games and nine in the 1962-63 season where he averaged, I think, 45 points a game. So in two seasons, he averaged 50 and 45 points per game. Not bad if, you can, uh, if you're if you Will Chamberlain. But um, it was just it was just awesome, man. I mean, the guard play. Now, the difference, I think, if the, if the Trailblazers can get past the Memphis Grizzlies, High, a lot of high pick and rolls, and one of the reasons why Lillard was going so off so much against the Mavericks was because they would do that high pick and roll. Lillard would switch on to Christoph Porzingis, and Porzingis had no fucking clue whatsoever on how to stop Damian Lillard. I mean, no one really does, but for the most part, Christoph Porzingis, <coughs> he really didn't. So how many layups did you see off that pick and roll, especially from the left side of the uh, of the lane where... You know, you got to pick on Porzingis. Porzingis backed off. Lillard gave him a hesitation dribble and went straight to the rim and went right past him because Porzingis was caught in no man's land. He wasn't under the basket. If you do that, you give Lillard a wide open, what, 18-footer. And here's the guy who's making shots on a regular basis from 25, 30 feet. So you got to go out on the pick and roll and play him from 18, 19 feet. But that leaves that left baseline wide open and Lillard was taking it on a regular basis in going to the rim and shooting layups. So pull-up jumpers. I mean, Lillard was doing the thing. So I think in this situation, if they play the Lakers and they do that pick and roll, they're going to probably try to do it the AD side, Anthony Davis. And Davis presents a much, much more challenging 
player to go around than Christoph Porzingis. But then again, you also have to get past the Memphis Grizzlies. And again, they're going to be looking, searching for that mismatch on the on the front with Lillard. And if it comes to Jonas Valanciunas of the Grizzlies, then look for Dame to have another 50-point game uh, easily and eliminate the Memphis Grizzlies. But it was interesting in the game last night where they were playing the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, basically, Brooklyn was junking it up. They threw a couple of zone looks at him. Basically, by the time, once he hit that one shot, top of the, I shouldn't even say top of the key, top of the center circle almost, and he made, when he took that and made that with such ease in a plume that the Brooklyn Nets were like, fuck this, man. As soon as this guy gets across half court, double, triple team his ass. And because of that, uh, Yusuf Nurkic had a pretty good game on the inside, even though, man, those motherfuckers could not get a defensive rebound to save their life. Portland would have won that game going away if Jared Allen wasn't being like doggone Dennis Rodman on the boards grabbing offensive rebounds and offensive rebounds. Clutch shot by C.J. McConnell, who was uh, C.J. McCollum, excuse me, who had a difficult second half but made a big shot down the stretch. Melo missed a potential game-clinching three-pointer wide open on the right side after a nice uh, dish from Lillard. Wide open, missed it. But uh, luckily, Portland held on for the victory. And again, they'll they'll be meeting the Memphis Grizzlies. So it'll be interesting, man, because right now you've got Lillard playing out of his mind. you got Ja Morant, who I think is going to take advantage, kind of like what Paris LeVert did. So look for one of these guys to score over 40, or both. (laughs) I mean, the odds are... I would say Lillard scoring over 40 is the highest of odds. Both Morant and Lillard scoring over 40 is the next in line. And then having just Morant score 40 without Lillard, I think that's the lowest of the odds. But it's going to be a fun game. I wanted to see Portland play Phoenix because I wanted to see Devin Booker go up against McCollum. But uh, I was about, about go up against Lillard. But uh, this will do. This will be a good game on Saturday. And then it will take us into the uh, playoff game starting on Monday. So I'm happy about that. All right. That's it. That's that. I'm done. I'm out of here. Finito. Finished. Glad that you had the opportunity to listen to the program. Hope everybody remains safe. I hope everybody does, does what they need to do to uh, continue to move the society along in the direction that it needs to be. God bless. Be safe. Thanks for listening. Music.